The reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. This can be found on page 856 in the Bibles and the chairs. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, don't, don't put those Bibles away. Um, keep them open in front of you so that you can follow along with us. If we've, if we've not met before, my name is Martin Thompson, like Ken, uh, said, um, and I'm a member of the church here, um, and it's a real pleasure um, to be opening up and talking about this passage with us this morning. Well, it's that time of year, isn't it, where you want to keep warm um, and stay on the sofa as long as you can, eat chocolate, um, probably a Terry's chocolate orange if possible, watch TV, a glass of mulled wine in hand, or maybe that's just in our house anyway. It's that time of year when Christmas 24 is broadcasting painfully predictable Christmas movies, all about cookie factories that are on the brink of closure, a remote inn in a village that's trying to restore festive cheer, painful, um, and yet we seem to have it on a lot in our house. But I'm sure most of us have seen the film Miracle on 34th Street. It's a Christmas classic. The 1947 novel became a movie that same year and earned the author an Academy Award for the best original story. Whether you've seen that original film or a later remake, you'll know that this young girl, Susan Walker, a little girl who has doubt, and yet her friendship with Kris Kringle restores her faith in Christmas, or the Christmas that the film is presenting. Miracle on 34th Street stands beside It's a Wonderful Life as one of the two most enduring Christmas movies. That's what Frank Beaver, a professor of film and video studies at the University of Michigan, says. He goes on, as with Frank, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street draws its continuing appeal by reaffirming ideas of faith in a modern, often cynical world. Reaffirming faith in a modern, often cynical world. Well, that sounds like something like our business, doesn't it? Not faith in St. Nicholas or Father Christmas, but faith in the truth 
of the wonder of an almighty God of the universe who created and sustains every moment that we are here. Who, although being the creator and sustainer of all things, reached into human history as a baby, a miracle birth, a baby born into disgrace and laid in a dirty feeding feeding trough. Well, we live in a time, don't we, when so many around us don't even give the birth of this baby, the birth of God in flesh. They don't give that birth a second thought as we go about celebrating Christmas in an overindulgent way. Faith in Christ and faith in the God who changes things, who interrupts our lives with this glorious news of salvation by repentance and faith in Jesus. Well, That faith, it turns on the sound, it turns on the lights and lights up our souls. It causes the mute to shout for joy. Just ask Zechariah, because it's him that we're with this morning in Luke 1. Let me pray before we jump into that passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would challenge us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with joy as we read your word. We pray that by your spirit, you'd open our eyes and our minds that we might see the joy of this coming king with minds that are unclouded. Amen. Well, last week, Ken took us through Mary's song, this soulful response to the task given to her by God, her father. And then in Luke 1, we put our headphones back on and we listened to Zechariah's spirit-inspired song of praise and prophecy. And it's in response to what he is seeing God doing right in front of his eyes, just like Mary. So we're going to look at his song. And as we examine it, well, I think we'll see that Zechariah's song is the song of a heart set free. So the song of a heart set free. But before we come to the song, I think we need to just paint the picture, the context around this man. If you've never met Zechariah before, let me introduce you. He's the father of John the Baptist. That's the birth at which we hear him, or or the circumcision of John the Baptist that we hear him singing here. You may have heard of John the Baptist. He's the messenger who preached repentance and faith um, and announced the arrival of Jesus. Well, Zechariah is his father. And we read, so look back in Luke 1, verse 5, we read that Zechariah was a priest. He had a wife and her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6 They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Lord. But they had no child, and they were both advanced in years. So we've got an old priest and his wife, Elizabeth. They had no children, and they'd been praying for a child. Zechariah was a a good man. But we meet him in, in this dramatic scene where Zechariah is ministering in the temple and an angel of the Lord told him that his wife Elizabeth, though advanced in years, would have a child and not just any child, but a child named John whose birth would signal a new day, a new day of rejoicing for many. So let's look down at Luke chapter 1 and verse 11. And there appeared to him, that Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, as you would, as you would be. 
and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What did Zechariah do? Well, his response is a little bit like little Susan at the beginning of Miracle on 34th Street. Verse, uh, verse 18. How shall I know this? For I'm, I'm an old man and, and well, my wife, she's advanced in years. And the angel said, verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah is left mute in silence. The judgment of God for a sin of unbelief or lack of faith, he's left expressionless, stilled. Every aspect of the word of God was, well, it was being brought about before his very eyes and he could say nothing. Elizabeth was with child. She was filled, we're told, by the Holy Spirit, as was the child within her. An unbelieving dad, Zechariah, is watching on in silence, but he's watching God's hand miraculously at work right before him through his wife. He's watching God's word come true in the most incredible of ways. We'll jump forward a number of months and we're at another dramatic scene at the circumcision of John the Baptist. So jump, look, 157. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. We jump down then to 59. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but the mother answered, no, he shall be called John. See, names are important to the Hebrew people, and, well, there was no name like this in their family. So the people around them, who had probably been um, a little awestruck by what had happened to Zechariah, well, they questioned her. So verse 63. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. So here, having watched this in silence for nine months, Zechariah bursts into prophecy, praising God, watching in silence as he saw God's hand miraculously and powerfully at work, bringing about his promises. Nothing to say, nothing to add, just watching. He bursts into the sermon of his life. Luke 168, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. Sometimes 
Sometimes it's possible to see clearly or to, to guess clearly what God is doing in our lives in the moment. But I'm guessing that most of us, a lot of the time, struggle to see what God is doing or struggle to see his hand. It might be that in the fullness of time, we will be able to see what God is doing through circumstances in our lives. Maybe. The people watching on here, well, they couldn't see what God was doing. They couldn't see him working powerfully through Elizabeth and Zachariah and, of course, her cousin Mary, who in the interim has come to visit. I feel like I can't pass over this experience of Zechariah without making an application for our day. I've been so challenged as I've prepared this. And, and the application is this. If we don't seek out silence, we will probably not see or feel the significance of God's work in history or in our lives now. It's a, it's a rare thing for someone to be gripped and moved deeply in a noisy room. There's a really close connection between stillness and getting a sense of the remarkable. The most astonishing things about reality and truth are probably missed if we use our phones or iPads or radio or TV to have that constant background noise or distraction. I'm saying this because while I reach for my phone at any opportunity, I've been challenged by this. The psalmist writes, be still and know that I am God. So what would it mean for your life if for nine months you could say nothing? You'd do a lot more seeing, maybe a lot more reading, maybe a lot more prayer and meditating on God's word. So ponder with me. Ponder how we will seek out silence for ourselves. Because I think that's something for us to learn from how the Holy Spirit was teaching Zechariah here. Zechariah spent nine long months trapped in silence watching God's incredible work before him. So I think this song of Zechariah then, it, I think it's a song of a heart that was set free. Set free from silence and set free from sin. Because the second thing we're going to see is that it's a song of a mind made clear. Because now, being faithless at the beginning, but now Zechariah stands as a man of belief. His mind was previously clouded. Had he put God in a box? Had he placed God and God's power into the boundaries of time and space, into the boundaries of age and stage? Was he, to some extent, some extent blinded by all of the trappings of religious practices? That's what he was doing at the time. Well, here we see that Zechariah, from the solitude of silence, well, he, he finally understood what was going on around him. He finally saw God's power, God's ability. His son, John, was going to be the forerunner and the herald of the one who was coming, who was greater. John would announce the arrival of the Redeemer, the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus as he started his public ministry. God's long-awaited promise of redemption and of rescue, of freedom, well, they're here. And John is the signal. 
But how often our minds can be clouded just like John's, sorry, just like Zechariah's. Maybe it is that we won't grasp the truth of God's word in moments of fear or uncertainty. Maybe it's that we won't grasp the truth or the promises of God's word in moments of disappointment or in moments of pain. Maybe it's because we don't, we don't turn to praise God and thank God in moments of joy and abundance and celebration in our lives. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a dependence on religious ceremony when it's easy for us to to let the reality of, of, of these symbols become buried beneath them. Maybe it's, a, it's an unbelief in the supernatural power of God. Maybe it's, it's an, an inability to see, to see past our own experience and our own human limitations. A lack of faith of, of the God we meet in Scripture. But now... Zechariah sees, at least in part, he sees what God is doing. Most of his song is taken up, not with his own son who's before him, but but with the salvation that the Messiah is going to bring, the one that his son will point to. Zechariah sees that God's promises are being fulfilled for all people in his time. There's only two verses, 76 and 77, where he talks of his son, John the Baptist, specifically. He, his son, will go before the Lord to prepare his way by calling the people to repentance. The rest of the song is about Jesus. It's about what the coming of Jesus is going to mean and what it does mean for us. Zechariah begins, Blessed be the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He sees clearly that God is bringing about his long-awaited promises, the promise of a coming Messiah, God's chosen king, who would rescue. You see, for centuries, the Jews had, had sunk under this conviction that God had withdrawn from them. The spirit of prophecy had ceased and given way to centuries of silence. In that time, Israel had, had fallen into the hands of Rome. The godly in Israel were still waiting for the coming of a chosen king. Luke tells us in the next chapter of his book, in chapter two, about the devout Simeon who was looking for the consolation, the rescue of Israel, or the prayerful Anna who was looking for the redemption, the rescue of Jerusalem. These were days of great expectation for some. And now, the long-awaited visit of God himself amongst his people was about to happen. He was about to come in a way that no one expected. God's chosen king was coming as one to rescue. Zechariah sees clearly this isn't a new plan. This isn't something that God has come up with through those years of silence. He knows that this king was promised. Verse 72, show the mercy that was promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the plan all along. Zechariah probably never dreamed that the Messiah would come and die. That he would come and die on a cross to accomplish redemption. It took Jesus years to get that fact into his disciples' heads who were with him for so many days. 
What Zechariah had in mind when he said that God had visited and redeemed his people was probably something like what Moses had in mind when he described God's deliverance in Exodus. Exodus 6, 6, Moses quotes God saying, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from your bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Zechariah, there's no doubt, is hoping that Israel, the Israel of his day, will be delivered from the oppression of the Romans. That the Messiah, that King of David, on David's eternal throne, would reign over a liberated and free Israel. In verse 69, he tells us how this has happened. Zechariah says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is the only place in the New Testament where, God, uh, where Jesus is called a horn. So we need to go back to the Old Testament. And that's no doubt where Zechariah was getting this image from. So we're going to see what, try and see what this means. There's lots of places we could turn to, but just two in particular. Psalm 132, verse 17, we read, There I will make a horn to sprout for David, that eternal throne. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Psalm 18, 2, David says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. God is the horn of salvation because he uses his power to protect his people. Jesus is the horn of salvation because according to verse 71 in Luke 1, Jesus is the one whom God uses to save his people from their enemies and from all who hate them. Zechariah sees clearly that the Messiah will one day destroy his enemies and gather his people into his land and rule them in peace. God's aim of raising up the horn of salvation is not merely to liberate an oppressed people, but to create a holy and righteous people who live not in fear because they trust God. Look at verse 74. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. If God's goal here is redemption, to gather his people who are fearless and righteous, then he must conquer fear and conquer unrighteousness. And the good news of Zechariah's song and the good news of Christmas for us is that, that God has raised up a horn of salvation who conquered death by dying on the cross and rising back to life three days later. Who conquered sin, evil, the devil. Zechariah goes on, look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah sings, speaks of a song, or sorry, Zechariah sings a song of a heart that is set free and a mind that is made clear, unclouded, because Jesus is the light in the darkness. Jesus is the light which comes and destroys the shadow of death. The Apostle Paul later 
writes, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I've no doubt that Zechariah found great joy and gladness as he cradled this newborn son in his arms. But he could see, he could see forward to a day of greater joy and of greater hope in the one that was promised to come after his son, John. This son, John the Baptist, later in his own life said this, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the straps of of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Of course, he's talking of his cousin, the Lord Jesus. Vast numbers of people today look upon Jesus, look upon this Christmas story and the, the coming of God to earth as an irrelevant, untrue tale. Some might even look at the story of the stable and goodwill to mankind as inconvenient. But for a Christian, seeing clearly, knowing that the birth of this child sets our heart free from the bondage of sin, unclouds our minds, well, the truth of the Christmas story is that it's our only hope of recovery from the deadly disease of sin. Zechariah is looking forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus. He could see unclouded, his tongue was loosened and his heart was set free. And he could see what God was doing. I think the application is simple for us. I think Zechariah challenges us through all the trappings of Christmas, work parties, illegal or not, present wrapping, family get-togethers, family fights, dare I say, uh, well, he challenges us to keep our hearts and our eyes fixed on Jesus, on the Messiah sent to rescue us, to bring us from darkness into light, from death to life. Zechariah had got lost A righteous man who, when confronted with an angel, just could not believe what he heard. This Christmas, we are confronted with an angel. An angel who announces the coming of a new king. The angel who announces peace and goodwill to all mankind. This horn of salvation that Zechariah speaks of has come in the baby in the manger has come to die on a cross to forgive us, to bring us from darkness into light and out from the shadow of death. But the question for us is, will we believe? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the same Holy Spirit who opened Zechariah's eyes and loosed his tongue, the same Holy Spirit who equipped John to point the way to Jesus is also at work amongst us today and in us, your people. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus this Christmas. In his great name we pray. Amen.